I wanted to take a moment of personal privilege to thank so many of my colleagues here at TPPF for the generosity I witnessed them showing to their coworkers, friends, family members, and neighbors during the events of the week of the 15th. They, like so many others in our state, selflessly gave of their time, their homes, and their resources to help others in need. So many in the service industry, from restaurants to breweries, were donating products and water to meet the skyrocketing demands of their neighbors. While I'm Buckeye born and raised, I have to say I've never been more proud to call myself Texan. Thank you. This is the Foundation Podcast. Last week was the first week back after the devastating cold spell that ravaged our state. The Senate Finance Committee met this week to talk Article 3, Education. We'll be diving deeper into education and school finance later on during session, and we'll be discussing career and technical training later on in this episode. On Thursday, Finance also discussed Article 2, which covers public health. On the House side, Appropriations on Monday and Tuesday met to discuss some big-ticket items, and then again on Thursday to discuss Article 3 as well. However, all eyes were on the legislature Thursday for the dueling hearings on the energy-related event that occurred on the week of February 15th. Senate Business and Commerce and a joint session of Energy Resources and State Affairs Committees in the House met to hear from ERCOT and power producers on just what happened that left so many Texans without power and subsequently without water. We covered this incident at length in last week's podcast. We were joined by Jason Isaac, the director of the Life Powered Campaign. On Thursday afternoon, House bills started being referred to their respective committees. And then one final item of the week, the lieutenant governor announces 31 pieces of priority legislation. Those include, obviously, Senate Bill 1, the state budget, Senate Bills 2 and 3, which have to do with ERCOT reform and power grid stability. Senate Bill 7, which tackles election and ballot security, you'll remember three episodes ago when we were joined by Chuck DeVore to talk on that very issue. Senate Bill 10, stopping taxpayer-funded lobbying. We were joined in our inaugural episode by James Quintero and Andrew Brown to talk that very issue. Senate Bill 13, oil and gas investment protection. Now, this has to do with energy discrimination and divesting companies' assets from oil and gas specifically, basically discriminating against uh, fossil fuels in the marketplace. Senate Bill 18, protecting Second Amendment businesses. Senate Bill 19, stopping corporate gun boycotts. Senate Bill 20, Second Amendment protections for travelers. Senate Bill 21, bail reform. We are following very closely the emergency item identified by the governor with the Damon Allen Act that's forthcoming. Senate Bill 23, stopping local police defunding, we've talked about at length. Senate Bill 24, the Law Enforcement Transparency Act. Senate Bill 27, expanding virtual learning options, and Senate Bill 28, the Charter School Equity Act. Now, these are not the only important items that were identified as priorities, but these are the items that are most relevant to some of the policy discussions that we have had or will have here on this particular podcast. Now, this week, we have organizational hearings in the House uh, for the Criminal Jurisprudence Committee, the Juvenile Justice and Family Issues Committee, the Defense and Veterans Affairs Committee, Environmental Regulations Committee, Ways and Means, and in Business and Industry. Also, the four House Appropriations Subcommittees will meet each day through Thursday. Joining me now on the podcast is Aaron Davis Valdez, a policy analyst with our Next Generation Texas campaign. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, Aaron, tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Well, I came to this role sort of um, indirectly. I, I started out as a classics major. Uh, so I studied Latin and Greek. And then I taught for many years in, t- in uh, the Austin area in classical schools here in Texas and uh, loved that career. Eventually, we, we had to move to Fort Worth and so changed, up, changed it up a little bit, became a charter school administrator in the Louisville area. Really loved that, loved the whole offering of that school to the community and got really interested in the school choice issue as a result of that. And then went to work for a foundation that supported those ideas after that, which is kind of my my entree into policy. So um, I've been doing the, the policy slash philanthropy stuff for about six years now. And when I joined the foundation in 2019, it was kind of my first my first professional role focused on career and technical education. I've learned a lot. It's a great team and love working on this issue. So let's delve into that issue, career and technical education. One, what is it? Two, what is the state of it here in Texas? Well, so career and technical education is a term that has been used since roughly 2006 when the federal government switched up the name of the Vocational Education Act to the Career and Technical Education Act. And so what most people would think of as vocational education from back in the day, shop classes, those kinds of things, that's encompassed under CTE or career and technical education. But modern CTE has many different um, what they call career clusters. So it can be anything from uh, information technology to nursing to um, more of the traditional trades. Um, All of that is encompassed under CTE now. And in Texas, uh, Texas actually really supports CTE quite a bit. We spend about $2.2 billion a year just on CTE. About 70% of that goes to secondary, so 7th through 12th grade uh, students. About 30% of that goes to higher education. So why is it important to get this issue right on the front end? Back in the day, sort of what we think of as the bad old days of vocational education, Frequently, what would happen is certain students would be counseled into tracks that were focused just on vocational education. And, you know, this happened kind of across the board to a lot of different communities. My dad has stories about how this kind of happened to him a little bit back when he was growing up in Florida, but it happened in a lot of communities. And there's a lot of, I think, very justified sensitivity around that. And so one of the things, though, that that happened um, sort of as a, a response to that tracking that was going on was a push towards a college for all mentality. In other words, the thinking was if students are prepared to go to college, they're going to get these higher level careers. There's the college wage premium. There are all these things. It would be kind of almost like a panacea for poverty if we could get all students to and through college. And that was a very noble intention on behalf of a lot of educators in the 90s and 2000s. Unfortunately, like a lot of good intentions, this one's led to some really bad unintended consequences. So among those are things like high you know, student loan numbers for students that can't pay it off. Um, sometimes what happens is students will start college, won't be able to afford it, and then will leave college before getting a credential of any sort and are still stuck paying the bill for that college debt, which leaves them in a worse spot than they started, actually. Whereas if they'd waited a couple of years, maybe gotten some uh, basic classes out of the way or taken technical courses, they might have had more success going into if they wanted to pursue higher education. So that's one of the many sort of bad unintended consequences. Another unintended consequence is this thing that we're seeing. I mean, it's not directly because of the College for All uh, push, but it's, um, it's part of the picture. And that is the skills gap. One of the things that if you talk to people in the trades, they bring it up all the time. It's probably the second thing they want to talk to you about is this issue of finding talent 
in the traditional trades like plumbing, electrical, HVAC, construction trades, manufacturing, oil and gas, those kinds of things. And so what's happening in a lot of those fields is that the skilled workforce is aging out very quickly. A lot of those folks are retiring. A lot of those folks are my dad's age and um, they're not, and, and, and there's a disturbing lack of young people coming in for them to train up <laughs> to take on these vital uh, roles. And I think Texas has seen more clearly than it could possibly have ever seen after the um, winter storm disaster that we're in now, how important it is to have enough of those skilled tradespeople to take care of our burst pipes and um, just the general mayhem that's resulted and how essential those those jobs really are. So those, those are some of the unintended consequences of assuming that the way to solve inequality was to say, everybody should go to college. Okay, well, that that makes sense. But what would actually meaningful improvements in CTE look like policy wise? One of the you know, we're working on a number of different issues related to this. This session we're very excited about. One of the things you want to do when you're thinking about career and technical education is to understand its value proposition. And this is something I want to get very clear with our with our audience and just with folks in general. Career and technical education is not like sort of your broad liberal arts education in the sense that it has a very singular value proposition. The, the, the point of career and technical education is purely vocational in the sense that it helps prepare you for a career or for that next job. Um, it really has that as its uh, sole purpose for existing in, so, in some meaningful way. And so as a result of that, I think there are some, some policy interventions that could be applied to CTE that may not be as appropriate for other more general kinds of education. And one of these is outcomes-focused funding. And so Texas State Technical College has kind of led the way nationally, frankly, and just in, in Texas with this model called the returned value funding formula. And basically, TSTC, you know, they they don't get fully funded by the state unless their graduates go on to get jobs after graduation. They're tied to that. And they requested that from the legislature, that funding formula. You know, as a result, they've had great success. Um, they've been nimble. They've been able to respond to the marketplace and what employers want. Um, because they're fully they're fully focused on that singular value proposition. And so thinking about that, you know, when it comes to other kinds of CTE, especially at the secondary level, the legislature did something really cool last session in House Bill 3, which was create this college career and military readiness bonus, essentially. And so what it did was it rewarded high schools up to $5,000 per student for things like college enrollment and military enlistment and uh, completing industry-based certification applications which are wonderful. The 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 one, you know, thing that we've been thinking a lot about is how do you make that a little bit more tied to the actual job market in an area. So an industry-based certification can be a great thing or it can be basically worthless in the marketplace. Um, and so what we're trying to do is think through how do we make that more tied to actual employment so that, you know, schools are looking around and saying, hey, what's growing in our area? What, who, which employers can we partner with? We see a lot of potential for employers to play a very key role in improving career and technical education. So if I understand you correctly, one of the problems that CTE seeks to address is essentially a market knowledge problem. You know, we don't necessarily think that folks here in Austin can set a training curriculum that'll work the same down in the valley as it will up in the panhandle. So where are we seeing 
different jobs cropping up in different areas across the state and how are they diversified? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, if you look, for instance, at the Golden Triangle, so Port Arthur, uh, that region of Texas, you know, before the pandemic, oil and gas was just booming there. And to some extent, I mean, there's still those jobs all over the state, but but they, they have a very specific industry a profile in that part of the state, mostly oil and gas, mostly the energy sector. And a lot of those roles are very you know, well-paying roles. They're, they're at or above the state median wage. Um, and a lot of them don't require a college diploma. They do require some sort of post- high school training, but they don't require necessarily a college diploma. And, and a lot of the folks in that area are always talking about, you know, finding those skilled workers. But places like Austin, we don't, <laughs> we don't have a boom, you know, a bunch of refineries near here. And so our industry needs may be more focused on, you know, information technology and healthcare, for instance, right? And so it's very important that local schools and that that local leaders are aware of what's actually happening in their own communities. And when it comes, especially, and I, and I want to make this clear, when it comes to the career and technical education portion of our, of our state budget and of uh, their resources, making sure that they spend those dollars wisely is, is vitally important so that they're not creating programs that are leading to dead-end jobs just because somebody in Austin thought it was a good idea to have that program. Just one final question, Aaron. where can people find out more? I would love to share with our audience that we just have a, a new video coming out from TPPF. You can find it on our website and um, it's, it's profiling uh, Mattress Mac. He, um, Jim McInvale, who is well known to, to Houstonians and Texans all over for his generosity in times of crisis. He's also created his own trade school and trade high school at Gallery Furniture North. And we profiled uh, that school and what they're doing. And I hope that the audience checks that out. And I hope, I hope that it, it shows them what's possible when employers step up. Fantastic, Aaron. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been Derek Cohen, and this is the Foundation Podcast.